Hi, John. Hi, Marilyn. How's it going? Good. Oh, we sound good today. How are you going? Pretty good. <sighs> good. Is it early? It's a little bit. A little bit early. <laughs> Did I turn on my volume or something? We sound, I sound loud. It's nice. Loud? Loud? Yeah, like, so, sonorous. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was yeah. listening to some, uh, some, oh, God, this is loud. I was listening to some music, and I, I tur- manually turned it up on my uh, little box, so now we're extra loud. Oh, that must be it. Mm. Mm. I kind of like it. I'll try it again. All right. Yeah. Yeah, loudness. Whew, it's early. Yeah. I got a coffee. You went to the potty. I did. I went to the potty. I got a coffee. Mike, mm-hmm. uh, I'm out of cream, so mm. I used milk. <laughs> um, my mom is here. Mm-hmm. And In she's. No, mm-hmm. no, no, but here at my house. So okay. as I was walking around, she saw that I have a big bruise on my leg, and she was concerned about the bruise. And so we got on a little bit of a tangent where she wanted me to call my doctor. Huh. Well, uh, now, hang on. Now she's standing here in the doorway and has does have something to say. Okay. Yes. Hey, I'm going down to Apple and talk to them about my. Oh. Oh. Okay. Hi, okay. Uh, hi, hi, Marcia. How are you? Uh, he, he asks. He asks. How are you? I'm great. Don't oh, let, she's, she's going she's down to Apple. She's going to Apple. Yeah, she um don't don't tell, tell her not to let him uh don't don't get pushed around by those jackals. Uh, uh, Merlin says don't let him push you around. No. Okay, bye. You know, that's probably the least necessary thing I've ever said. She um <laughs> uh, it was just her birthday and we got her an Apple Watch. Oh, terrific. You wait, you yeah. you have tight clustering on your birthdays, huh? Yeah, we do. Wait, when's yours? Mm, a couple of weeks. Okay, cool. Cool, cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm not getting anything. I just like to know what I'm. Uh, <laughs> I like to know what I'm not observing. Are you sure it's not coming up? In I don't. Your cal? I don't celebrate. You don't have it I don't, in your cow. I don't. I don't believe in celebrating anything. I know you don't. Yeah. Um. You got her. And, got her an Apple Watch. Yeah. And then she looked at it. She looked. You know. She monkeyed with it. And she was like, "Well, this doesn't have all the functionality that I'm looking for. I want the cell one. She wants to want the red dot. Yeah. She wants the red dot. So oh. she's headed down there to like red dot it up with those people. Yeah. My my broke. Your red dot. My red dot broke. Oh no! Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, How it, uh, are you monitoring your? Uh, I'm using your my steps. very, very my well. <laughs> I have a Fitbit right here on uh, this hand, uh, and okay. then I have my very, 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 very old. Uh, part of my saying shitty Apple Watch yeah. over here on oh, this hand. Oh, oh, I see. So while your while your third watch is being repaired, no, no, can't can't repair it, and it's too close to announcing the next one. So um, I was uh, I was roundly talked out of buying a new red dot and told that I should wait like a big boy for the next one. Oh, but sucks. this it? one sucks. It takes forever for Siri to hear me. It's the worst. When's the next one come out? Should I stop my mom and tell her, don't go, don't go wait and get a new red dot. That That is a fine watch. The red, dot, the red dot is, a, is the first ready for prime time. Apple watch. It will serve her well. Um, y- you might, you might want to tell her to wait. Really? Do, do we long? need to stop the show? Well, let me go look. So what, what you do is you go to... Um, hey, Mom! Hang on. Merlin has some other advice. Go ahead. <clears throat> okay. Um, Mac Buyer's Guide. Mac Buyer's Guide. Uh, Merlin's doing some research now about whether or not you should go get your Apple Red Dot Watch today. Or whether you should wait for the release of the brand new one, which is coming out in some number of weeks. The Apple Watch Series Three, da, 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 Series da, Three, da, Series Three, the red dot. Uh, days since release: three hundred and thirty-two. Average four forty-five. Uh, 
there might be a new one. There's a pretty darn good chance there'll be a new one next month. Like the beginning of next month or the end of next month? Mm, it'll be announced next month. Here's the thing. If she, Here, she, she Mom, could, Mom has a question. Okay, sure. so, so I have this watch. Could I just turn it in a, week, a month from now? Well, there's usually a, I think there's a 30 day window on, uh, no questions asked returns. There's, I, I, I'm just looking at this very quickly. It's my understanding there's a pretty good chance they'll announce a new one next month. I don't know how soon it will be available. I can tell you that's a good watch you got, but there'll probably be a better one coming in the fall. Okay. And what about like what I have is a series three with GPS. And what I'm going down to, to talk to him about is, uh, upgrading to one that uh i wouldn't have to have my phone right you want the the lte model and uh you're an at&t family AT yes we are yeah yeah so what you'll do is you call up those jackals at at&t and they will add that as another device to your account and then you will have that as an independent uh device you could still do you could do a fair amount of stuff with that it's not quite the same it's if you're taking a walk you'll be fine but I wouldn't uh -huh. go out the whole day without it. But it's a very capable watch. I wish mine hadn't broke because I love it very much. So, do, but do I need a different watch to have that capability? Mm, yes. Well, does yours have a red dot on the crown? No, uh, she does not have the LTE. Yeah, so you need to, it'll be uh, a little bit more dough to get the red uh -huh. dot model. And then you, with your uh, mobile provider, you'll get that provision for the service. There'll be another eel they'll attach to you of some such dollars a month, $20 a month or something. But yeah, you, okay. if, if you go in and get that new one, you, and it's like I say, mine broke and I'm bummed about it. It's a real good watch, uh -huh. but I just want to give you the caution. If you want to be on the bleeding edge, you know, the thing is, Marcia, life is short. You should go get the red dot today and enjoy it. Yeah, I'm not really a bleeding edge type of person. <laughs> you used to That's be. You used true. to manage bleeding edge people. That's not true. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you guys. Okay, thank you, Marilyn. Would you please text me if I can do anything or email if I can do anything to help? Okay. okay. All right. Okay. Break All the right. leg. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. That was, that was kind of our first guest. Have a nice trip. Thanks. Was that our first guest? Oh, you had your, you had your building manager on one time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, he said something from the door. Yeah. I'm not, yeah, I'm not 100% sure. I think my, my daughter might have gone squeak, squawk, maybe she once. She whispered something once. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think. Um, well, it, we just, we just uh, uh, validated our placement there in, uh, in iTunes as a Mac pad podcast. <laughs> Mac Padcast. Padcast. <laughs> Padcast. Hi, welcome yeah. to Watch Talk. <laughs> I'm here with horologist John yeah. Roderick. I hate that word, horologist. That's a terrible word. It's terrible. Really word. problematic. Oh God, it's early. I hope that goes well for her. It's a, it's a good it's a good watch. Yeah, she's gonna be fine. And you know, she she's like, oh, I'm not a bleeding edge, but I'm like, Mom, I would never get one of these things here. You're the tech. You're the, she's the tech savvy one. She is, but she's uh, she's also decisive, and it sounds like she knows what she uh, what she wants. Yeah, yeah. She's on. She's on the. She's on the train now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, she's gonna mm -hmm. go down. You know, she gets Apple Care. Uh, she gets the most extensive Apple Care she can get for everything. Ugh, got it on everything uh, but this watch. I'm so stupid. So fucking stupid. She, she talks to them. She's gotten probably. <laughs> they earn it. They earn every dollar. <laughs> She's probably gotten two hundred thousand dollars worth of <laughs> consultation from them. She, she calls them and they. What's, they a, what's, talk a, re, what's a recent example where she's drawn on that resource? Oh well, what what she asks them to do is help solve her, um, like functionality. Like it's not just I can't get this to boot up, but she calls them and says, "Excel 
<laughs> and they do it. <laughs> they probably uh, got a flag on her. If they have yeah. any sense, they'll put a flag on her. Maybe so. <clears throat> yeah. They've had, they've had, uh, or she's had them go through her entire music catalog or, because, <laughs> you know, all this stuff where, where I transfer a thing and it's like, oh, your music's gone. <laughs> oh, well. And I go, no. <laughs> what are you going to do? Sure. Just I one more kick, my music. kick in the balls. It's a new age. Things are different now. But These she, millenniums, they love their avocado <laughs> and they just don't care about their music. She grabs on like a, like a rat terrier. <laughs> And just Excel. <laughs> and just walks them through like uh-huh. everything. She's like, "Well, I don't see. I used to have every Creed record. I go now- out of my way not to tangle with her. I'll put it that way. If I if I if I have anything to say, you know what they used to tell us in military school? They said there's there's only three potential answers to every formal question. You either say yes sir, no sir, or no or excuse sir. Oh right, right. Yes sir, no excuse. No, and so like if I if I feel tempted to try and slide in any kind of fourth answer, I don't I don't you know I don't try to like. Um, soft pedal it because she doesn't respond well to that kind of thing but i try to be it's a very soup nazi type situation where i try i try really hard to be clear and concise i try to address the core of whatever it is we're talking about and i say what i think we should do about it what i can do about it and if there's anything she needs to do about it which i think a manager appreciates yeah, yeah, yeah. a manager doesn't want somebody to come in there uh, looking for a parent you know they, they, they want they want somebody uh, they want somebody who's who's going to do the work yeah, that's tough for me because I really she, she is your uh, parent. You know? Well, and, and and the thing is, every manager I've ever tried to hire, the first thing I've done is said, "Excel." Is... <laughs> Sorry, this is this is not a scope for your Apple Care, John. <laughs> <laughs> Just like ah, I you know, speaking of suit Nazis, when I do uh, have to interact with the Apple system, and I, I'm just here to tell you, I, I just think the Apple Store. I've argued with my friends about this. I don't think it's nearly as fun to go to the Apple stores as it used to be. It's so crowded. And getting dealt with there used to be. Time was you could just stroll in there with your hot Sam or, or your Orange Julius and just like mm-hmm. get some help with something. Uh, oh, you, I remember. You really want to get an appointment. So, for example, when my sweet, sweet daughter broke her iPad um, a few months ago, um, I called, like we were going out on a trip. I called from the road as we were headed toward our destination, and it was a week. Oh, yeah. So I came back and I went in there and my, my experience, I always, you know, it's always very much the same where like, there are people who are walk-ins and the walk-ins come in there and they're like, I can't get into iCloud. Mm-hmm. This is the most common one. It's like, I'm locked out of iCloud. And they're like, um, there's very little we can do to help you. <laughs> we have designed this system to be that we can't get into it, let alone a bad guy. And so there's really not much we can do for you. And it's so sad. People are like, Oh, I dropped my phone in the toilet. Now all my kids' pictures are gone. It's like, it's the worst. But they're they're also in front of me, and they're they're kind of taking up a lot of time when I could be, you know, getting taken care of. I have, <clears throat> I mean, this is one of my superpowers. I have a friend who manages an Apple store. Oh, nice. And so I do have the ability to excel. Uh, to well, <laughs> you, to, just, you just get him on the blower <laughs> to send him a text and say, uh, "I'm down here at the mall. I need to talk to somebody at the Apple store." Yeah. And he's like, and then somebody comes out with a mustache Mm -hmm. or some extraordinary tattoos or a uh, flat top haircut Uh uh or really big glasses. Sure. Oh, Um, I see. And uh, they say, are you John? Uh And I go, yeah, maybe. maybe. (laughs) And they say, (laughs) who are you? (laughs) 
what can I do? And then they are always the person that while they're talking to me, 40 other Apple employees come up and say, hey, uh, this guy wants to... Oh, it happens I, all I, the time. I, 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 if you, if then, you don't have that guy, I'll call him Cecil. If you don't have Cecil, you're getting somebody else and you're getting passed around. It's not unusual <laughs> to be handled by three different people who have to like play a game of telephone about what they're doing for you. And they wait on like yeah. three people at a time. It's a mess. <laughs> it's crazy. And I always feel both good that I have the person that everyone's consulting... My my person sometimes even has suspenders. Oh, you know you got a good one. Cecil with suspenders? Yeah. That's a yeah. keeper. Um and <clears throat> Cecil and it's uh, and like uh like uh, gender unclear. Oh, you know, good like for, often, good for them. Often like flat top and I, suspenders I and mm-hmm. you're still like, yeah. Um but the but they mm-hmm. are also very uh, in demand. So then sometimes I'm like, hey, uh, uh my eyes are over here. Mm-hmm. Like why are you why are you helping this guy get his thing going on? Hmm. But it's like because yeah because I'm the manager and the reason I'm, I'm helping Cecil. you is that somebody <laughs> made a phone call to me that said that you were important. So this is what important Even looks you get like white at glove the Apple service. Store. You get white glove service. <laughs> Sometimes those fingers got to touch somebody else. But it was amazing. The last time I went in and got a phone, like they did all. They were like, Let, here, why don't we put on the why don't we put on the protective covering? Why don't we do that for you? And they just ported everything and they did all the stuff. But even the little stuff, like they put the case on for me, they were like, "Well, let, let's." Oh, no, let's that's unusual. Me. That's unusual. And I was like, "I was like, yeah, this is nice. This is good." But you know, like my my <laughs> person at the Apple Store, uh, uh, the person who makes the call is also an important person. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know what I mean? Like if you mm-hmm. get referenced, if 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 your reference is a like a buck lieutenant. Oh no, there's there's a there's a lot of levels to that. You're it's not yeah. just the getting moved to the front of the line thanks to your privilege. It's also that you right. will get somebody who who is you're not going to get a dingling. Right. I used to have you a know. guy, you know that mall down the street from us where oh, our office store. I remember that guy. I have a guy, a guy the utility guy. Yeah. And a very handsome guy, and I think he got called up to the bigs. I think he ended up working oh. uh at the spaceship in Cupertino. And I don't I don't know any no, you know what's really sad, John? You know, n- nobody knows me either. I go in there, nobody knows me anymore. I'm not That's famous. insane. That's impossible. I know. I know. I used to be well known in the Mac and Apple community, and now you're you're Merlin Man of MerlinMan.com. <clears throat> These kids are very, very young. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I was Merlin Man, a lot of those kids were in high school. I see this a lot. You get that a lot? No, no, I just see this a lot. Oh, you see- <laughs> 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 this episode of Roderick on the Line is brought to you by Mac Weldon. You can learn more about Mac Weldon right now by visiting macweldon.com and listen when you go there use the promo code rotl for 20 percent off your order it's a pretty good deal hey listen i'm a big fan of mac weldon uh i'm wearing mac weldon right now i wear them all the time they basically mac weldon is the pillar of my entire wardrobe comically so my daughter has told me she actually the actual quote yesterday was uh you wear five things is what she said and i think four of them are mac weldon um here's what they told us to say mac weldon is better than whatever you're wearing right now because Mack Weldon is a premium men's essentials brand that believes in smart design and premium fabrics. So, now, that's all true. They told us to say that, but that is all true. This is really, really good stuff. Um, Mack Weldon believes in smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. Uh, it's, they have a very easy-to-use website. I have to tell you, I have purchased hundreds of dollars of their clothing using their website, and it's always a doddle. Uh, Mack Weldon, Weldon will be the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants that you will ever wear. That's true. And they even have a line of silver underwear and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial, which means that they eliminate odor. But they want you to be comfortable with whatever you pick up. So if you don't like what you got from them, you keep it, and they will still refund you. No questions asked. It's good stuff. Really try this out. Try the Pima Cotton Tea. That's really good. I really like their uh, their white uh, undershirt. 
just stays tucked in. Beautiful, beautiful. Their polo shirts I've recently gotten into. Uh, very cool. And yeah, their underwear. It's pretty ace. So uh, not only does Mac Weldon's underwear, socks, and shirts... Listen, I'm recording this right after finishing this episode. You haven't gotten to the end of this episode yet, but it's pretty wild. So yeah, I'm a little bit emotional. It's kind of weird. Anyway, Mac Weldon, <laughs> they perform well. Uh, they're good for go- working out, going to work, going on dates, or, or just everyday life. Honestly, get the Mac Weldon. Really? Seriously? I mean, they paid for this ad and stuff, but like, it's really good. Try Mack Weldon. They're good. You go to MacWeldon.com and you get 20% off your order using the promo code ROTL, MacWeldon.com. Our thanks to Mack Weldon for supporting Roderick on the line and all the great shows. <laughs> Fuck you. Uh, I was just reading uh, the writings of one uh, Benjamin uh, Gibbard who was running down his list of he force ranked uh, the Death Cab records. I read that too. It was pretty good, wasn't it? It was, yeah, it was. It was. Uh, it was. Uh, it's nice to see him like just go for it. I'm glad know? transatlanticism was one. I would have liked to see something about airplanes higher. I never got the whole built to spill junior thing out of them. Oh, for sure. You think so? His his vocal uh, stylings, particularly. Well, no, and just the kind of twisty, turny, like. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the time, in 1997. Any good band in Seattle was trying to sound like Built to Spill. It, it was just, sense, yeah. it was just the way it was. Modest Mouse sounded exactly like Built to Spill, exactly. But with one or two, the two weird things with Modest Mouse uh, were that Isaac Brock had a lisp, mm-hmm. which did not sound like Doug Marsh, mm-hmm. but uh, and and also the like kind of like uh, uh, Wang Bar melodicism of mm-hmm. both of those bands. Uh, Isaac Brock didn't actually did you did you know this he didn't have a whammy bar huh. he would buy he would buy the cheapest guitars that he could find and they were all these like heavy metal kind of pointy uh <laughs> pointy horn uh, uh like Kramers and stuff that nobody wanted at the time right uh they all had tremolos but he would take the bar off and his way of playing was he just kept the heel of his hand on the tailpiece yeah, and like under it almost. <clears throat> wow. And he would he would sit and play and just kind of like push his push and pull his hand on the on the like Floyd Rose tr- tremolo system. Oh, you get like a locking type situation. Yeah, okay, cuz I was going to say I saw them one time and they seemed really high. That seems like oh. a very high level like, like no, they were they were in, 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 incapably high. Uh, uh on drugs? They were on something cuz it was a yeah. real bad show. There was a while. But this is now, the time when they'd gone into more of what I'll call circus music. I don't I don't want to speak <laughs> I don't want to speak too far out of turn here, but I happen to know for a fact that they uh, that at least he no, I think they mm. were huff, were huffers. Oh, for, uh, oh nice. Well <laughs> you know really what you what you save buying buying a, a less costly, you know, Kramer. Yeah, you could turn that right into that's 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 Scotch guard for the table. Sure, you go down to <laughs> you go down to three M and get a case. Yeah, get a case of adhesive, <laughs> and that really affected their musical style. But Death Cab was like it. I mean, the the bands that were the the bands that were all post grunge. All we were all so influenced by Built to Spill. It's just you can't even describe it. And so when Death Cab, when I first saw them, I was like, they are extremely good. And extremely capable of sounding like Built as Phil. Yeah. Um, and it was just it was just the evolution of his, you know, like he his writing style obviously completely unique to him. 
I, th- I, I felt that same way. I thought that, I think You can hear that airplanes. more on We Have the Facts. I, I agree with him. I went back and listened to We Have the Facts yesterday, and that is a very good record. It's, it's overshadowed great. in my head by the first one, because that's the first one I heard. And I'm like, I really imprinted on um, Champagne from a Paper Cup and Definitely Shaking and all those songs. But that, it is, it, it's, a much, it's a much more interesting sounding record for sure. My problem with We Have the Facts is that <clears throat> I was playing, I mean, I played uh, 50 to 75 shows with that, that band during the period between um, the recording of Something About Airplanes and the recording of We Have the Facts. Mm-hmm. And at the time, the band, during the Something About Airplanes years, the band got harder and harder, like big rock show, like loud and and expressive, you know, big gestures and, and he does that hip thing. He has that that guitar hip thing. He does. He does that. But you know, they were like, they were, they were soaring really Mm -hmm. as a rock act. And then somewhere right in there, you know, they were, they were very young. And I think very, I think there was something like around 21, 22, 21, 22. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I mean, at, at that point I was 28 and, I was extremely susceptible to the winds of musical fashion blowing around, and I didn't even know what they were. But those guys were really, really, really in the in their moment. And in that strange little area of 1999, it was that whole wave of Quiet is the New Loud, uh, like anti-punk emo, the American analog set, like really like pling pong, mm-hmm. pling would you would you put that on their age under the ages of what you call don't yell at me music don't yell at me music mm-hmm. and those guys went out so so they were playing shows and they and they would get they would get tours with bands that were at their level and were real they really admired like they did that the dismemberment plan tour that was oh the death and dismemberment right right that was what huge a weird for both pairing. bands what a weird it was, pairing it was super weird, but they 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 both bands were really into it, and the fans were really into oh, it because it was so just good. like, so "What good. the hell is this?" You know. Yeah. But they went out and they did a tour with a band that was super duper quiet as the new loud, and they came back from that tour, and all of a sudden, and from my standpoint, all of the energy had gone out of their set, and they were trying to be really precise. The volumes had come down. There was no jumping around. It was just like. Pling, plang, 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 plang. Real, real, real gentle. Super gentle. And mm. then they recorded We Have the Facts. And the thing is, some of the songs on We Have the Facts are some of the greatest Death Cab songs. But I really, I, I was waiting for that record to come out and be this like stadium rock that they were, that they had been playing three months before. Mm, okay, sure. And instead it came out and it set the tone for this because they play stadium rock now. Like if you go see Death Cab now, it is a massive, massive, epical. I haven't seen them know. in years, but even then they were soaring. It was very, it's, it was very big sound. Like on that, that Transatlanticism uh, tour was really, really good and really big. They were, they were really in their corn back then. Yeah, well, so that's what I mean. Like they walked themselves back up to this this massive sound, but but. Having been with them at the time, they artificially restarted themselves at, at We Have the Facts and had to kind of walk up. If they had made that record before going out on that one tour. Would have been a different I record. 
it would have been a different record and a different band, a different career. Cause they would have been, I think they would have been a hundred percent closer to what they ended up doing later. Sonically. Mm-hmm. I don't mean songwriting wise, songwriting wise. That's, it's, it's always, they're, they're very consistently putting out amazing songs. Mm-hmm. But that's just my, that's my <clears throat> yeah. too, too, too close to the, too close to the, mm-hmm. to the, to the font to have a, um, to have like a not biased feeling about every single thing. Speaking of fonts, did you look at the Wikipedia page for stream? I'm, I'm looking at it now. Do you find this as interesting as I do? I, th- well, I don't know why. I don't know why, obviously. but this morning I woke up and I says to myself, I says, now, something I've done with my daughter in the past that she's done on her own, I've done on my own, we've done together, is to go out and, and interrogate the idea, what is a city, what is a village, what is a hamlet, what is a megalopolis, those are all pretty well defined. But today, I, as you do, I woke up thinking about water. Yeah. And what the, is a stream? Well, yeah, what even is a stream? Is a stream, like, I'm, I've come to believe that a stream is a subset of many different kinds of bodies of water. But I don't know. I mean, I'm, there's probably some government definitions, but it was just, it was real interesting. So I went out and started Googling around. Some people say, what a, you can jump over a brook, you can wade through a creek, and you can swim across a river. But I think all that varies heavily. I was just excited to know that there was this much detail about the tax, taxonomy of water lines. Well, what's a nick point? I mean, what's a thalweg? <laughs> what's a gill? I mean, these are all important yeah, questions. You get, and, you get a psych, a, a branch falls. You get a kill, a run, a burn, a born, a beck. Did you? Did you? You didn't say crick. You said creek, right? I say creek. There are a lot of a lot I, of people it's where touch, I came It's touchy from. for me because I am from Cincinnati, and right. a lot of my family is from Kentucky and West Virginia, and right. so you know it's sort of uh, I don't know uh, Eliza Doolittle type situation. I push back on a crick. There are a lot of people in Alaska that call it a crick. Call it a crick, and um, and I, <clears throat> yeah, I have been in situations like when I was working at the gold mine. You just have Is that to call a strip it a club. <laughs> when I was working at my high school gold mine, gold mine, <laughs> gold mine, uh, the high school I, uh, gold mine. Uh, I call. I had to call things cricks because that was just. If you'd called it a creek, you would have been you would have been trying to be a dick. New York City, <laughs> yeah, a little, little bit fancy. Uh, creek, but you know, out here we have uh, we have a lot of sloughs. A slough, not yeah. is that a slough like a slough? A slough is a slough, but it's not a sluice. It is not a sluice. A slough. But did is you get down not... to section three? Other terminology. Look at all I those. Did. Wonderful, look I, at all those wonderful words. I am loving the other technologies. Tech, Bifurcation. I'm afraid that I lost. You may have noticed I lost a, a tooth. No. Yeah, and so I'm I'm having a little bit of. A, I don't. <coughs> and, and this I time don't notice it until you start exaggerating it like yeah. that. I, well, I've this, been talking to you for 25 minutes and 19 seconds, and I haven't noticed anything. The problem is that this time in particular, I don't know why I've lost this tooth a thousand times, but all of a sudden, I my tongue does not have any articulation and I, I, I keep fumbling over words <laughs> <laughs> it's really driving me crazy but a, but a, so a slew the, the, the slews are very uh, they're, they're major features of the uh, of the Northwest uh, and Alaska because it's just a kind of like you've got them so much there in San Francisco like everything everything in the East Bay is a slew basically hmm. all those places where the rivers come in and it's kind of a brackish, swampy. That's another good you know, word, like, brackish. 
uh, like it's just sort of a like a what what is this? Is this a stream? Is this a pond? Is mm-hmm. this a lake? Is this a an inlet? And is it an estuary? What the hell? And it's always a slough. So we have a lot of sloughs out here. And you look at the you look at you want to call it a slough. You just can't help it. I've been I've 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 seen that word since I was a little kid, but I still can't not call it slough. I just think of it because of the office, I guess. Oh, because of the office. <clears throat> okay, here's what it says in the internet uh, science page. This is it's important. I think stream is a good jump if you're interested in bodies of water that mostly move. Uh, this is interesting, and you start realizing that rivers are very important. Rivers are very very important. Oh, I you wait. There was a thing on uh, KQED this morning where they talked to a fella, 75-year-old guy that's been working with river stuff and the environment for a real long time. Of all of the many, many, many rivers in California, I believe, I'll try to find the webpage for this. Supposedly, there's only one river that is governed by the Johnson era, something like the Wild Waters Act or something. Uh Uh Whereas this idea of like, hey, these dams are great for lots of reasons. We can build shitty housing here. We can get some power out of it. There's all these things, but there's only one river, one like large river in California that is not dammed in any way, which I was very surprised to learn. Is it? Because there's a lot of rivers here. <clears throat> is it the Russian River? No. Is it? It's one it's, I didn't recognize. Russian oh. River is a good-ass river. It's a great river. <clears throat> you can tube on it. You know, the Rogue River in Oregon mm-hmm. is, a, is a hell of a river. Let me recommend, if you're okay. looking at... If you're looking at uh, rivers, this would be a good ebook. We should do this. High quality uh, Rogue, rivers by John McQueen. <laughs> um, I think the Rogue River uh, gets um, the Rogue River is more important than than we than even we know. Oh, it's a turns out. It's turns out river mm-hmm. um, because the Rogue is uh, one of these like um, it. So much water flows through the Rogue. And it has so many opportunities for dams, and the geol- the uh, hydrologists and the geologists mm-hmm. and all the all the big extremologists, uh, extremologists, governmentologists. Mm-hmm. Um, you they know, said, they said no. They said leave it. We're not going to dam this. Well, we'll dam it a little bit. Damn it! They 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 wanted they wanted to dam it so hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, because, I mean, if uh, you only got a hammer type situation, right? Yeah, <laughs> if right, right, right. If you're right. a maker of dams, right? You're going to be out yeah, there looking for things pro- onto which dams can be affixed. Every problem looks like a dam. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, but the people in California in particular, I think, look at the Rogue, which is in southern Oregon, and they think, hey, you know, we need water in California, and you, Oregon, are... <sighs> Just dumping, beautiful, beautiful, dumping, dumping all this incredible, wonderful, clean mountain water straight into the ocean. Please stop that. Please let us divert your delicious water mm-hmm. here to California, where we will turn it into soap tasting dreck mm-hmm. to to uh, to serve our millions and millions and millions of of uh, huddled masses yearning mm-hmm. to drink free. And Oregon goes. Mm, I don't know, man. The the the, the salmon's mm-hmm. and the stuff and the wildness of the this river. Is a beautiful river. You got some lava stuff. Oh, look at that. Did you Mount you, McLaughlin? Mm-hmm. Oh, look at that. That is beautiful. Did you um? Did you read the uh the uh, what the hell am I? Well, I just I absolutely my. T- 
my tooth. tongue went, my tooth. tongue went into my tooth area. Oh no! And it, and, and it uh, diverted I, you. I got confused. Did you ever read the Monkey Wrench Gang? I don't think so. So the Monkey Wrench Gang. I, were you ever a member of Earth First? No. Did you ever say to anyone, "No defense or no compromise in defense of Mother Earth"? No. Oh, see. see. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so there was a. Did you, long... ever, did you ever wish that <laughs> schools would get all the money they wanted, and you'd have to hold a bake sale? <laughs> to buy a piece of military equipment. You ever, did you ever do that? Have you ever seen a grown, <laughs> a grown man, man naked? naked? <laughs> <laughs> you like gladiator movies? <laughs> there was uh, there was quite a while, I think, in my early 20s, where, I, uh, where I really felt like being a, an environmental, not activist, but an environmental vigilante might be where my life was headed. Oh, that's super interesting. Um. I was so profoundly affected by the logging culture up here and the clear-cut culture, and partly because my family is in timber. Um, Old wood, big wood. Old wood, big wood. Uh, (laughs) And and partly because it's, you know, like it's in my nature to to look at the world as as a system and to feel like you can push the push the system only so far before it starts to collapse. And mm-hmm, if once mm-hmm. it collapses, you know, and, and this is all stuff we, we talk about now in terms of global warming. We didn't have that terminology then, but we, we definitely understood that, um, that ecosystems were delicate mm-hmm. and that we had, we were profoundly. Well, the, I mean, you're, the, the thing that's I think implicit in what you're saying that a lot of people continue to overlook is the, this is very turns out, but how surprisingly intermingled all these yeah. lives are, and you don't have to go as far as flapping a butterfly's wings, but you know, there's, but there's so much connection between these ecosystems and we've seen for years, you know, what happens when you, when you try to bring, you know, get the coyotes out of Yellowstone and now right. there's too many rabbits or whatever. There's all this kind of stuff where it's a more delicate balance than people like to realize. Cause it seems so sturdy and because God made it in a very yeah. Genesis way, it's nature and it's good. And you know, it's, as a and as a teenager, I think what we were seeing, we we definitely now understood that the dams had killed the salmon runs. Uh, we were watching overfishing destroy the 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 East Coast fisheries. Um, we were seeing, and this was the spotted owl era, where they were they were chopping down the forests, and the only you know, and we were just scrambling like it wasn't a question of this dumb little owl is a question like, where are the deer going to live? Mm-hmm. Like where there's the, you're taking all the wood. There's no place for anything to live. Like forget spotted owl, but the spotted owl was a thing that they, the, the, the ecological community could point to and say like, this bird will be gone if we don't do something. Right. And you know, and that, and it became comical because the loggers were like, who cares? You know, the snail darter thing started in 1973. Isn't that something? That's way longer ago than I would have guessed. Well, so because that was this, a, besides, you know, the spotted owl came along later, but for a long time, everybody sneered about the snail darter. Yeah, like I who remember. cares? It's a, it's a, in the Wikipedia picture. It's in someone's hand next to a paperclip. Like who fucking cares? Who fucking cares? Right. And you know, and this all started with Silent Spring, which is a great book about That's a hell of a book. DDT, DDT, and what eagle eggs. Hmm. Yeah, I read um, that environment. I had an environmental ethics class that uh, was very uh, upsetting. <laughs> well, and so I I felt one of the one of my early because this is still 
you know, this is still Cold War, but I was feeling very radicalized about environmental issues as a as a young person, and felt like uh, the bulldozers and the and the chainsaws were such a um, you know were marching in such lockstep across the West that as a Western person, like I was moved to to feel like. I, I never moved to chain myself to a tree or to climb up into a giant redwood and and build a tent up there. But it was it wasn't an abstract or philosophical issue for you. You could see the consequences of what this change meant and could continue to mean. Yeah, I think I might have told you the story where my dad and I were flying in a in a little plane over the Cascade Mountains and you know, and I started to and I'm a I'm not a uh 10 year old at this point, you know, I'm, I'm in my twenties, but I looked out, I surveyed from as far as the eye could see from 5,000 feet or higher, we were flying over the mountains. So we were, you know, you, we were up high enough. You could see in a, uh, for a great distance. And I said, look at this. Cause he and I had been arguing about environmentalism and he came from that era of like the blogger is the, is the, uh, like pinnacle of the Western man. Mm-hmm. How do you, what do you mean? Don't log like logging is where you go out and that's what, how you put yourself through college logging, mm-hmm. uh, which was his attitude. And I, you know, I pointed from one end to the, of the horizon to the other and said, where are the fucking animals going to live? Dad, like w- w- the forest is gone. Mm-hmm. The forest is fucking gone. And he saw it. He finally saw it, uh, through those eyes. And so, we then were at my uncle Cal's, who was at the time president of McMillan Blodell. And Cal and dad were sitting there and dad said, well, I was flying with John. No trees. The forests are all gone. <laughs> and what the, you know, like, what the fuck have you, have you guys been doing? You took all the forests. And Cal said, oh, <laughs> That that, uh, that that explains a lot. And my dad said, "What? What does?" And Cal said, "Well, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, more, uh, more, more people are flying." <laughs> this is the and, greatest one-man show I've ever been to. And my fucking uncle Cal's my fucking well, uncle he's Cal. Saying, he's saying, "No, he's saying it's a problem that you're noticing too much." Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. He, All right. He, because because he he Talk was about killing the messenger. He was a timber baron during the era when they realized he's, he's you, old, old wood, big wood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If he real he was of that era that where they realized, hey, if you leave a buffer of about a hundred feet of trees on either side of the road, mm-hmm. then you stop getting phone calls from people. Oh, I see. It's a Ceausescu type situation. Yeah, they're driving yeah. through the forest and they're like, "It's so beautiful." We'll and then a hundred trees up. Yeah, a hundred feet behind. Uh, it's cl- that's, it's, that's that's really interesting uh, optics management. Well, and and it's still true. I mean, drive in the west and you will still see those buffers around the roads. I'm a 51 year old man. That never occurred to me until right now. How would I? Yeah. How even would I know? Yeah, right. Because I'm not going to go to the places where they're clear cutting. And the timber. Well, you mean that? I mean, they're anywhere in the west, right? Anywhere in the mountains. <sighs> Um, and they, and the timber companies figured that out, but, but dad is telling this story and Cal, Cal, it went into uncle Cal's ears and he was like, Oh, that explains why we're getting so many letters. Okay. 
because people can see it from the air. He, and sees, he, was, he sees the problem differently. He does. And so he was just like <laughs> gears turning, like, how do we black out the windows of airplanes? Hmm. Or like, how do we, what if we spray painted the ground green? Like he, he's just, I mean, his just his mind is somewhere else, right? Because the idea of harvesting timber to him is just a different thing than it was to me. And and growing up late, I mean, as, as time went on and I realized like, oh, 98% of all the old growth forest in the West was all cut down in 1850. You know, there's the, the number of pockets of actual old growth forest that's, mm -hmm. that's a thousand years old. Yeah. It, it was already really a small area. No kidding. Yeah. They, because the and original, and that's not even, I mean, obviously they were efficient for their time, but that's long before we got to the point where we could do it at scale like we can now. But the thing about the, what they do at scale is they're harvesting trees. They're harvesting like third growth, fourth growth, because they cut all those trees down in 1850 and replanted them. Okay. And and by 1890, those trees were ready to be harvested, and they cut them all down again, and then they replanted them again. And in 1935, they were all you know like they've they've been managing these forests for uh for a century now mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or more, and that's just how the timber people just are like yeah to you they're mountains full of deer and stuff but to us they're farms and and also like have you figured out a better way to build a house or 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 well you know like, what it's cal cal right cal uncle cal like i don't want this is absolutely not a change of subject but the way uncle cal is approaching that i think is really instructive for somebody who thinks of themselves as an idealist because somebody who's an idealist or somebody who thinks that uh, the system is uh, crooked and rigged and everybody's out there trying to hide something, which there's all kinds of reasons to believe that today. But listening to the way he thought about that, I, you, you tell me if I'm dead wrong about this, but I, I'll bet you um, it was, okay, think about this. Like if I'm trying to get my kid, let's put it this way. I, I would like my kid to try new foods and try different foods and different combinations of foods. I don't know if this is like this for you, but if I, no matter how I introduce this as a new food, all the red flags are up. Right. And she's in a defensive mode. She's not interested. She knows it's going to be gross. She tried something. She uh, quote unquote already tried it once and didn't like it. Right. On the other hand, if I just give her something to eat and she eats it, it we're fine. I right. made, I made a, I made a rookie mistake a week or two ago when uh actually while we were camping um last week she uh, she got a sandwich <clears throat> that's really a kind of sandwich she would like it's like a, a cowgirl creamery, creamery like fancy ham and fancy cheese on a fancy beautiful roll and she was you know she didn't eat a lot of it but she had some of it and i made a stupid mistake which i was like i was like that was pretty good right you can see where this is going and uh, she says yeah it was pretty fine <laughs> fine i was like you know you just uh, you just ate mustard and i might as well have said like i, I shat on it <laughs> she's she was mad at me she's mad at the sandwich so that's the thing is like i think uncle cal is being like me in some ways he feels there's a rightness a properness a correctness a normalness in what he is doing for a profession he doesn't see what he's doing as wrong in other words what i'm trying to say is i'm not a, a mustard villain and no. uncle cal at least in his own eyes is not some kind of robber baron from uh, Oldwood Bigwood. He's just a guy doing a job, but he understands the optics of needing to like minimize the amount of this looking bad, even though he thinks it isn't bad. Isn't that kind of yeah. fair to say? He doesn't think it's bad. And, <clears throat> but he and, doesn't feel like he's covering up a bad thing by doing that any more than I feel like I'm covering up a bad thing 
with mustard. I think that helps explain a lot about why we don't always see the same way about things. Yeah, he he definitely felt like the the um <clears throat> that environmentalism was a form of hysteria and it was a political it was a politically motivated a way to get peop- leverage for yeah, if, you know change this dumb high. thing to get this good thing kind of thing. And 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 just in general like a symptom of a kind of anti-industrial, anti-corporate, anti-capitalist, mm-hmm. uh, like general movement that he disparaged because he was pro-industrial, pro-corporate, and pro-capitalist. Did did he think? Do you suppose? Do you suppose or imagine that he thought um, the, uh, that the protests and concern were ultimately disingenuous? Yeah, or disingenuous or ill-informed, uh, primarily like ill-informed. Primarily, he felt like they were the they were movements of children who were mm-hmm. yelling, sad because and, we ate the pretty pig kind of thing. Yeah, right. And just like they did not understand economics, they didn't understand how things were made or built. They didn't understand where their parents' money came from. Right. They had expensive college educations and were now out yelling and screaming about the birds um and in the me- and and they were doing a good enough job of it they you know they were attractive they were jane fonda's or whatever and so they were getting so so the risk to him and his business was that popular opinion might turn because the pretty people felt this way yeah um and you know, and the thing about Warehouser and those companies is that over the years, they really, they managed this optical switcheroo where they became stewards of the land. I mean, right. Warehouser now is a major property development company who are... We hear, we hear ads all the time on KQED for the Almond Board. It's like mm-hmm. the thirstiest crop in California <laughs> is constantly doing these ads. And it's like the kind of thing you see on like NewsHour, those kinds of like in Archer Daniels Midlands, we make the farm the table or whatever. And you're like, no, you don't. You're not, you're not, that's not what you're doing. You're just a giant, giant, giant company and you're just putting a straw hat on it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> With the almond, bar, I mean, I like almonds as much as the next guy, but they're a very, very, I mean, almonds and iceberg lettuce, I think are up there in terms of how much water goes into producing a very, very tiny amount of product. But well, you know, I'm, I'm so, saying like every, I think everybody's done that. Every, you know, a lot of these, these people want to like, these companies want to reframe themselves and do, you know, remember back in the Bush era when it seems like every kind of welfare or environmental gutting act got some kind of a sweet name, like the, oh, the preservation sure. of precious yeah. deers act or yeah, whatever. The kiss, the kiss, the, the birds on the beak act. <laughs> the caressing the trees with metal act. Well, uh, uh, but 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 I think it's key from our standpoint. We look at those and we think, oh, they're greenwashing themselves as a part of this evil. Uh, like, uh, it, it, from our from our standpoint, within the parade made up of paper mache uh, marionettes, who are like, oh, I'm evil capitalist. You know, the paper mache top hat <laughs> and the bulldozer. <laughs> that they are, you know, that that, that they just have. Totally I don't evil have a proper motives. job. I just show up and disrupt other people's work. <laughs> <laughs> but from their standpoint, it, th- there's the same amount or more of just like 
a, a conviction that they're the ones that are doing the right thing. They're the mm-hmm. ones that are helping people, that are building things, that are making the world better. And they have to greenwash things just in order to to like sideline this yelly, bratty, a bunch of powders who have their own agenda, who are who, their hands aren't clean either. They're trying to accomplish some kind of social engineering that that just gets in the way of the good, natural mm-hmm. American progress. And and it, as a as a 22 year old, I was really on both sides of it because I was having dinner at Uncle Cal's, you know, just eating that roast beef that the death of the spotted owl had paid for. Boo. But on the other but on the other hand, you know, at night I was not not to say that I was like putting a black mask on and going and pouring like sugar, down SUVs or something. Sugar in the gas tanks of, <clears throat> of bulldozers, although not far from it. And um and it was uh, you know at and I think part of my education, like part of my self-education came as a result of trying to reconcile those two worlds, both of which I knew intimately, and say like, okay, Uncle Cal is a very confusing man to me. He's very hard to um, he's very hard to get off to the side at a party and ask real questions of. Uncle Cal resists that. If you try and guide him away, he will guide himself. <laughs> he's like, have you met Rajneesh? <laughs> uh, but he does, you know, he does it like with himself, but, but the monkey wrench gang, uh, and the rogue river, like these, uh, the monkey wrench gang is a novel written about a group of like a ragtag group of people who all, uh, banded together in the desert Southwest to stop the construction of a dam. And it's written as like an, an adventure novel. And the more I think about it, I'm astonished that it never got made into a movie. When I first discovered it in the mid eighties, it was still like, uh, it was still a, to read it felt really transgressive because it was effectively advocating a form of domestic terrorism in defense of a larger principle, like in order to save mother earth, we're going to have to periodically destroy a dam, you know, some, some big, big gesture. And it felt, it felt uh, like a, like a piece of contraband to have this book. And it was in that same family of like ecotopia books that were, were sort of prognosticating a future world in which the Northwest or the West sort of seeded from the United States mm-hmm. and formed a ecological uh, socialist utopia, which I think there's a whole new generation of people that imagine that might be possible. They're mostly Portland Timbers fans. Um, but I, the, the reason all this is like really present for me is that I just did this week long motorcycle trip in the mountains of Oregon and I rode around logging. Yeah. Roads basically for six we had days. two very, very different camping experiences around yeah. the same time. We did. You were pretty lean. Yeah, you had well, you had a pup tent that fit like in a in a backpack. We had a six person REI tent with a wall in the middle and an add on garage. <laughs> <laughs> it 
<laughs> we had to rent. I sent you a photo. We I had to rent it. an SUV for ours. Just and you to were, carry the tent. Oh, oh, oh. And, and the big husky boxes for all the stuff and our new uh, our new uh, oh, Cadet you? Fire Coleman grill. Aren't Woo. you fancy with your husky boxes? The husky boxes. Those things aren't cheap. Oh, they're so good. You get the short ones and the tall ones. No, the oh, short ones so are great. Good. The tall ones are great. No, everything that I had was it all fit on the back of a motorcycle. Ugh. And then what about we would, food. How would you do for food? Well, you know, we go down to town because we're we're riding in this mountain range where most of the so it's it's all logging roads and and what the logging companies figured out a long time ago was, hey, we're going to be taking a lot of timber out of these mountains, and rather than just build some rutted, uh, like shit gravel road, uh, we might as well build roads like, you know, not. Not like two-lane divided highways with sidewalks, but like proper roads mm-hmm. up into these mountains because we're going to be running a bunch of trucks in and out, bulldozers, you know, men and equipment. And so the roads so, – so the mountains, the coastal mountains of Oregon are mostly unpopulated, mostly just covered with forest, and they are uh, – and they're like they're these capillaries of roads that go all the way up to the summits, and they curve, they wind, they're twisty, turny little snakes of okay, roads. Can I ask a point of information? Yes, of course. I've avoided asking this because it sounds like I'm trying to. Uh, it's it's. Uh, uh, were you driving your own motorcycle? I was driving my own motorcycle. Really, you weren't like riding on the back. No. <laughs> You see why I didn't want to ask. I well, thought you might sure be touchy. You, about, for you sure might be you touchy shouldn't about. have asked. But, you, know, like, you know how to ride a motorcycle? Yes, I know how to ride a motorcycle. I Kid mean, dog? in the group of people that I was in, <laughs> uh, there were at, at, at one point there were seven. Was it a Yamaha? It was not a Yamaha. Okay. There were seven of us and six of us were at, were either professional motorcyclists Podcasters, former professional motorcyclists, Uh or like lifelong seasoned racers, dirt bikers. Uh Keep keep going. Which one are you in? People that grew up on motorcycles, Uh people uh that like live on them, people that ride them every day. Mm -hmm. And then at the. Or people who think punk rock is bullshit. Either. (laughs) If you're you're looking at this as a pyramid. Either at, the, either at the top of the pyramid or evil at the evil. very bottom of the pyramid, okay. there was one completely novice rider, uh, and that is me. Okay, utterly a novice. And uh, have, you, have and you? So, like, you have you have you gotten the hang of changing gears on a two wheeled vehicle before? Yes, because okay. I, I'm I I think a, it's tricky. I'm, I think it's tricky personally. I'm a Vespa rider. Okay, and, all right. You know, asked my, and answered. Yes. My first motor vehicle was a was a Vespa. So, I the first thing I ever rode was a two-wheeled thing that had four gears. And I rode um when I was 17, I bought that CB uh that Honda CB650 and rode it from Yakima to Oakley, Kansas, uh, in an attempt to ride a motorcycle across America. I got as far as Kansas before I rode it off the road and crashed and and um but that's not an inconsiderable distance from Washington to Kansas. And that was a lot of time on a, on a 650. Uh, but then, you know, back to Vespas and for the most part, like somebody would throw me the keys every once in a while through their motorcycle and say, go get some beer. But I, I didn't ever own a motorcycle after that. And so last week 
this group of guys had been talking to me for a while, like, we're going to go on this epic motorcycle trip. And I was like, well, I don't know. I'm a little intimidated. I am not a, I don't have a motorcycle. I don't ride motorcycles normally. And you guys are all like uh, pro motorcyclists, like really super good at it. Good at motorcycling. Let's call it that. And also like good at m- everything around motorcycling. I mean, if, if I, you're talking about mountaineering, you could yeah. just as easily say, well, shit, if you guys are used to doing this all the time, I'm going to be a real drag on this trip. And I kept saying that and they were like, don't worry about it. You'll be fine. And I, and I kept saying, well, I don't think that I necessarily will be fine. And they were like, you'll be fine. Don't worry about it. And so it, it, it got to the point a couple of weeks ago where I was, you know, I was asking myself, like, you don't want to do something just because, because somebody's telling you that if you don't do it, you're a puss. Um, <laughs> or I think one eventually grows out of that, or you know, or implying it. Sure, but but this is the kind of adventure that I have staked my whole life on. I have this I, this is exactly what I do. Somebody says, "Hey, I'm building a rocket in my backyard out of plywood. Would you like to go to the moon?" <laughs> and I go. Is there room? What time or, and what do I wear? <laughs> is there room for my dog? Mm-hmm. Like how many s'mores are you bringing? And so the, so what they, what my friends were offering, I know a lot of this is spearheaded by friend of our show, uh, Ben King, who is an architect in Portland, who is a motorcycle in, uh, enthusiast. And he and his pal, Gregor and their motley crew of mo- motorcycle people, we're saying, we'll give you a motorcycle. We'll give you a motorcycle costume. In the I gonna, you, of, look, you look sharp and fit in that outfit. In a, and, and it's like an armored suit. With, but it's kind of like a modern technical, right? It's modern technical, right? It's modern not, te- modern technical. A technical suit. And we'll give you a helmet and gloves. And we'll, give you, we'll tell you what you're going to do every day. You don't have to think about anything. And, uh, this sounds we'll like go, it's right in your wheelhouse. Yeah, we'll just go motorcycle around for six days. Oh, my goodness. And I said, I don't, I'm very afraid. And they were like, well, it's good. You should be afraid. That's good. Good, good, good. That's exactly what you want to be. And I was like, okay, that's a great trick to do when someone's like, I'm afraid. And you're like, that's exactly right. You're like, okay, all right. Well, that's no longer an excuse then. Being afraid is the, is the key? Okay. All right. I'm, I'm following. I'm <laughs> I can following. do that. <laughs> Uh, so at, at the very last minute, I said, uh, okay, I'll do it. And I, and I called you and said, I can't do the show next week. And I called uh, everybody else that I had an obligation with and said, I'm going to be gone for an entire week. And I mean, I, the way my life is structured, I can do that. And everybody goes, oh, all right, see you next week then. So that I didn't have, there was nothing I could say where I had to do something, right? I, I couldn't say, I can't go on the trip because I have to do something. It's clear. Everybody knows I don't. Mm-hmm. And, well, you know, I can, I can cancel everything I have to do with one phone call. <laughs> and, I'm pretty uh, accommodating, don't you think? <laughs> oh, you were great. You were like, see you next week. I'll take care of it. And then you said, I'm going camping, too. Yeah, I'm going camping, too. We got yeah. an SUV. I was like, wow. You can start it remotely with a button. <laughs> so, so I drove down to... We had a, like a hundred quart cooler. <laughs> How, you can start the truck with a button from outside? Click, click. You can open each of the side doors. will slide open the back hatch, all of it. What kind of uh, truck was this? A Dodge 
something, something, a 2017 Dodge, something, something. It has two different, uh, you know, the AC, like uh, the cigarette lighter power things. One for running when it's turned on, one for running when it's turned off. So we're able to reinflate our mattresses electrically every night with that and recharge all of our iOS devices. (laughs) With With the power converter I had delivered from Amazon Prime. (laughs) <laughs> not at all what we had. Yeah, not at all. <laughs> yeah, your tents were a good deal more modest in size. Well, keep going. Uh, I'm going to send well, you a picture. Oh, so anyway, of our tent. so I got da- I got down there, and here are all these guys. There was a there was one guy from <laughs> Naples, Italy, who owns an Italian restaurant in New York City. There was a hedge fund guy who had a fifty thousand dollar Ducati motorcycle that had just recently appeared in all the motorcycle magazines as a custom build. Wow! And now he was taking it out on a shakedown tour. Uh, there was a kid in like blue jeans and a backward baseball hat that had built a motorcycle out of parts he found at a thrift store, but who was like a, some kind of genius motorcyclist that everybody else uh, really respected because he like had a, like a motorbike savant. Yeah, he had like zero fear and was and and had a, had a, just a natural way of riding a motorcycle. Hmm. But they all did. Like Gregor is a like Gregor was a GP motorcycle racer racer and builds motorcycles for a living and I mean there it like I was right in the right in the thick of it and what they like doing is talking about motorcycling and they're not uninteresting like mm-hmm. I, these people are fascinating they look jolly not yeah, in fact well, that way but they they look like a happy like a happy garrulous bunch this was a, this was another thing that this was this was the first time in 20 years that I'd stood around with with seven people, seven yeah. men, and stared into a campfire. You, you said as much on Instagram. I was just like, "This is pretty amazing." I haven't. I used to do this all the time, mm-hmm. and it is its own thing. It is its own thing to do that. It's not just you can't replace that with like standing around a, a green room with some podcasters and looking at a TV. No, it's not like watching Cameron Esposito get her hair done. It's not the like, same thing. I, I know how to build a campfire. That was one thing we could do, right? So I, we got there, and everybody's the, the the first thing we did when we pulled into a campsite was one of one of the guys decided they needed to take the motorcycle apart, and <laughs> the other ones would get their tools out, and pretty soon the motorcycles all take it apart. And I'm like, well, well, how? I couldn't take that motorcycle apart in a in a in a surgery in a hospital with a with a YouTube video and five people helping me. So much dust. And, so much dust these, when you can't. Yeah, they're just like tearing it apart. And so I would say, tell you what, I'll go build the fire. And, you know, like I, I at least can, can do a thing, right? But off we went. And the, the best piece of advice I got was from my friend Andrew McKegg, who is, a, who is also a motorcyclist. And he's one of the, he's the guitar player in the Presidents of the USA. Oh, he's, oh. He's one of these wait, triple wait, wait. threats. Well, say, like, say, say again. Andrew McKegg <clears throat> okay. is a great guitar player. He's because uh, they got two guitar players, no bass player, right? No, the bass player is Chris Ballou. Who Car- Chris plays, plays the bass. That's right. Okay, but it's a but two all the, string. All their bass. instruments are goofy, right? They're all goofy. Two string bass, three string guitar. Gee, many. Um, hope they're good strings. They're heavy strings. Yeah. Heavy oh, strings. he does like a, like a, an EAD. Uh, I think that uh, he probably does some kind of. It, it's probably tuned down. Anything but DBG is all I'm saying. I think it. I, who, D, D, actually, DGB, DGB. Actually, I would avoid DGB. Who knows what it is? Because you can't do the good power chords, and they have the, the three strings that always go out of uh, out of key. I've ne- you know I've never actually asked because I don't have any intention of playing a three string guitar. So I mean, you have to listen to the whole explanation. I like to just have it be the magic of the president. No, don't make a sandwich you don't want to eat. 
So anyways, Andrew, Andrew is a great guitar player, a very handsome, also garrulous person. And it turns I'm, I'm out, embarrassed that I forgot that Chris plays bass. I'm really sorry about that. Well, because because Chris's bass is Chris is such an uh, such an uh, an, uh, an emphatic musician. Like music an interesting is, guy. He wrote us an email, and I still haven't responded to it because I haven't I haven't found the right words to respond. He's a very thoughtful guy. Because, yeah, because it's very hard to understand how to respond to Chris. <laughs> But, but I'm glad he 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 shares this he shares this program with his uh, with his youngster who's not so young anymore. Yeah, have we officially said hi to them? Hi, I'm gonna say hi. Hi. Hello. Hi. I see hi to them. Hi, youngster. All the time. Uh, but if you ever get a chance to go stand at the foot of a of a of a stage where Chris Blue is playing and watch what he's doing on his instrument, whatever instrument that is, yeah, you will find it extremely transformative. I love, I love weird, I love the Thurston Moore stuff. I love the B-52 stuff. I love the wackadoo tuning stuff. Yeah. Well, and this is, yeah, this is something he, Chris learned from the guy in Morphine. Hmm. I think they were friends and the Morphine guy was like, here's, hey kid, come over, come over here. You got too too many strings on your guitar. I'm going to make it twice as good with half as many strings. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a thing. It's like, it's part of the continuity of life. Uh, so all by way of saying, uh, oh, what Andrew said to me was, look, you're on a, a ride with seven, uh, six professional motorcycle people. Mm-hmm. Here's the way that you do this and don't die. He said, do not follow them. Do not try to keep up with them. Hmm. Do not play with them because guaranteed they're all super macho about motorcycling. It's just how it is. You get mm-hmm. on a motorcycle and immediately you're trying to go slightly faster than the guy next to you on the other motorcycle. Mm. And he said, if you try to keep up with them, they are way better than you. They will do things you can't do and you will end up in the trees. So he said, you're on a ride with these six guys and here's what happens. You all start at the same time and then you immediately lose sight of them and do not try to ever see them again until you get to the crossroads where they're waiting for you. And in the meantime, just be on a motorcycle ride with yourself. Oh, that's so good. That's so smart. A you're motorcycle just, ride with yourself. Yeah. He's like, you're just riding a motorcycle <sighs> yeah. in the country. And you're practicing your turns and you're thinking about what you're doing and you are enjoying the air and your life. And then you come to a stop sign and here are the other six guys who have been waiting there for however long you don't care. You don't care how long they've been waiting. Fuck those guys. And then, and this happened every, this happened six times a day. I would pull up and they'd all be sitting there with their engines off and their, hel- their helmets off. And they'd be like, Hey man, having fun. And I'd be like, I'm having an amazing time. And they'd be like, great. And off they would all go in a huge cloud of blue smoke. And then I would go. And I had an incredible week. And I know up ahead of me, they were like, they were like X-wing fighters going through the, you know, trying to uh, trying to kill womp rats uh, uh-huh. with the bullseye bullseye womp rats, yeah, with a dollar or whatever. <laughs> and kind of getting notes. And I, and I was just like on my motorcycle ride. No, no, I no! You were on your motorcycle ride. Yeah, I was on my motorcycle ride. That's right. And so, and, oh, and I was on a KTM 990, which is the biggest bike I ever saw. I mean, it's as big as a pony. As in cubic inches? Yeah. And it was 990. <sighs> no, no. That's a, that's a, that's a big scooter you got there. Big, 
big, big boy. Um, big and incredibly powerful. I mean, incredibly powerful. A lot of uh, displacement. And we were on dirt roads, so so the tires were spinning and things were going sideways, and I was just <laughs> like, "Here I go! I don't know what I'm doing." But you know, and as time went on, I kind of got well. You learn a lot spending uh-huh. six straight days on a motorcycle, and by the end, you know, I now I, uh, I now I would say now I would put myself in the category of totally novice rider, but um, but you're beyond step zero. Yeah, but I'm a rider. You're a rider. I mean, I'm a, I still feel like a total novice, but I, you know, as time went on, I got smoother and smoother, and and I could go faster and faster. But I never had that feeling that I used to have on motorcycles, which is every corner I went into, I wasn't sure if I was going to come out of it. Yeah, yeah. And now I now I go into a corner, I know how to do the how to come out. I the had other a lot side. of similar experiences uh, because I'm a rider of a Segway, so I think I probably have a lot of the same skills. Yeah, well, a Segway is just so it's just like it's like a motorcycle, but the wheels are in a different part, and it goes, you know, almost ten miles an hour. But it, uh, but you got to learn not to think about it. You know, it's like Ted Williams say, you, you, he says you can't hit the ball when you're thinking about hitting a ball. You know what I'm well, saying? What's, what, what's amazing about this is that riding these bikes and and talking to these guys about it because they're philosophical about motorcycle riding too. Um, what what I think a big part of why they do it is that when you're doing it, it, it is consuming so much of your attention because you're because there's the technical aspect of doing it there's the I just thought, there's I think the, also just like the situational awareness of being yeah. more aware than ever of what's happening around you what's not happening what could happen around you like every turn represents somebody who could just not see you absolutely you're driving down a road and you're like always scanning is there a tractor is there but also like is a bird going to fly out and hit me in the in the helmet. Oh, like that's no good. Bird, you don't want that. If a bird hits your car, you're like, whoops. Wouldn't that be a sucky if, way to die? Break your neck because a fucking bird hits you in the face? There's so many ways to die on a motorcycle. Oh, like my God. All, all that has to happen is anything. You just eat it. And just go down. So, so you're super, super attentive. And what I noticed in that six days is there's not a lot of room to think about other stuff. Mm-hmm. You don't sit oh, on a motorcycle. that's good for you. That's good yeah, for me. That's good. It's good. Your mind does not drift off to some insult that somebody paid you 42 years ago mm-hmm. where you're like, that kid stole my bullet that I had. He got my pog. <laughs> you know, like it's just, you're just driving. You're just in the, you're really in between the turns and looking at everything and smelling the air. Mm-hmm. And, and so it was, it, it was an experience that I'm still processing. And, and a big part of it was, being so in Oregon, like I know mm-hmm. Oregon, I fucking know Oregon, mm-hmm. like the fucking back of my hand, but I'd never been quite this immersed in Oregon. Like I've, I have been, I'm more in Oregon than most people in Oregon right now, mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. though I'm not in Oregon right now. Oregon's still in you. But Oregon is in me. Yeah, that's that's right. right. Oregon got in me. Yeah, it slipped in your saddlebag. That's so, a good feeling, John. I'm glad you did this. It's it was a good challenge to yourself. Yeah. And now you get a you get a little bit of a reset. Yeah, I, I rode over a thousand miles on a on a motorcycle what? that a week ago I had never even seen. That's insane. Or, we made swordfish. I see that you got the REI Co-op Kingdom Six Tent and the garage. And that tent, I have I hate I hate to say this, yeah. I have been coveting that tent 
for several years. The pro- REI, the problem with REI tents, and you, you, you know, this is not going to be like a North Face bag situation. Um, these, these REI tents, we, we don't go camping that often, but they're like fucking Honda Civics. Like these things are great. They're yeah. so good. They are so relatively easy to put up. They're so spacious. They're so dependable. Again, like we do car camping and we've never been in like a lightning storm or something, but they're, oh, uh, see now my daughter and I wanted to get like a 12 person tent, which my, my wife said is right out. There's no way. There's no way. No, no 12 person tent. Why is what's I want the most expansive tentage that you could have. I want rooms. I want it to be like, I want, I want a stately pleasure dome decreed. Like I want a fucking balls out baller tent. Like the last, last three we've had, were great. We had a hobby tat, one of those orange ones that was perfect for my wife and me. Our family grew a little bit. We got the next big size one. And then we went this one. It's not the prettiest thing in the world, but you can see from the photos, it's, it's pretty uh, capacious. You can stand up in it, right? You can stand up in it. You can add a garage to it. You had a garage, and now you're zipped up in your own environment. It took up like two-thirds of our campsite. It was fucking amazing. I really love that. I, I, I want one just for the backyard, just to and, go out there and, you and know, it comes and in do a yogas. bag. It comes in a bag with straps on it, so you can wear it like a backpack. Uh. In the 13 steps from your SUV to where you're going to put it up. <laughs> Depending on oh. its location or certain characteristics, a stream may be referred to by a variety of local or regional names. Long, large streams are usually called rivers. However, even the Amazon is a stream. Come on. They're all streams. I think streams streams are a superset. This is oh, so this is like a rectangle is a square? That's right. That's right. A brook, a brook, the thing that makes a brook a brook is that it's shallow. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. A a creek is a small to medium sized natural stream. Right. But see, again, this is all like a hamlet. You say it's a hamlet because it's 50 people or whatever, right? I mean, there's, there are ways to break this down. There's all these beautiful photos. You can get a runnel. You get tributaries. Tributaries. Mm-hmm. Not tributaries, but tributaries. I'm, I don't know. I, I might have said it wrong. Anybody, no, can edit think this. Tri- Anybody can edit the page. I feel like tributary is, uh, is, is, should be something else. That's like somebody that wants Brexit. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Um, have you ever looked into, uh, the, why am I even asking you this? Anybody else I wouldn't ask this. Have you ever looked into wildfire management? Oh, that shit is fascinating. It is. Wildfire management is fucking lit. It is crazy. It's crazy. Well, you know, I knew kids. I mean, one of the things you did in Alaska, if you didn't do commercial fishing was you did smoke jumping, firefighting. But like... I was reading about the history of um, controlled burns and fire breaks and how they mm-hmm. do all that kind of stuff over time. And like, back, of course, every, yeah. And everybody thought it was crazy. Like, look, there's all of this fuel that's built up because we haven't had a fire in a while. We can easily burn off this fuel and that will not affect our redwoods. We were in the midst of the redwoods. It was totally executive camping, but uh, we were, we were, we were lousy with redwoods everywhere around us. It was incredible. Awesome. Anyway, it's a big deal now. I don't know if you heard, there's a lot of fires going on right now out here. Yeah, I have heard that. It's a real That's in the deal. newspapers. Did you, did you get that in the papers? I see. I see it in the papers. Yeah. You um, have a, a wetted a wetted perimeter is the line on which the stream surface meets the channel walls. Isn't that beautiful language? It's it like is. Richard Hugo wrote this whole page. It's so good. Floodplain, gauging station, headwaters, nick point, riffle. It does feel like spring. a thing, you know, that you could have like zigged instead of zagged, and then this is what you do. What's that? The, 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 the water just or waters, fire? Just, waters just, and fires. Just, just waters and fires. Great yeah, forces. Great, great forces. 
I, I, I really, you know, we're, we're, uh, uh, past a pretty good ding, but I really do want to talk about that airplane kid. It's you want to go, like, go for a maxi episode? I wonder whether we should, whether we should do like a maxi episode, special 300th episode, maxi episode. <laughs> okay. Uh, hi, John. Um, hi, Merlin. I, I didn't know if this was too on the nose to bring up with you, but I'm reminded by listener of the show, John Syracuse via text this morning. This is so in your fucking wheelhouse. Yeah. Over the weekend, a fellow who worked at SeaTac, correct? Yes. Uh, Basically stole a Horizon Air. Was it's a real plane? This is a big boy plane, right? It is. Yeah, it's a big turbo. It's a prop. Uh, two props. Plane. This dude who worked at the airport, basically, I think as a luggage carrier. He was a baggage handler. Baggage yeah. handler handles a lot of baggage. He took this bird up in the sky. I think on Friday night. We'll skip over for for the moment. We'll skip over what he did while he was up there. But okay. apparently, he had some struggles including landing. But no, that basically it looks like it was maybe a uh, suicide mm-hmm. ish. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. here's the monkey balls part. A, a guy who's a baggage handler stole a plane. And then according to this article from this morning in CNBC, incredible maneuvers by air and quote unquote, incredible maneuvers by airline ground agent who stole plane baffles employer. His only training appears to be quote unquote video games. Yes. Um, I'm trying to get some descriptions of it, but he was, where's the descriptions? Call me patient. Uh, so he was doing, what kind of, was he doing like tricks? Mm-hmm. He's never flown a plane before. Mm-hmm. Okay. This happened in your neck of the woods, in your industry. Mm-hmm. This, this guy's mm-hmm. got uh, big motorcycle energy. What the fuck happened? We're, jump in anywhere you want. How did he get a plane? And then how hard is it to take your skills in video games and turn that into doing fucking tricks in a real Q400 twin engine turboprop plane? <laughs> this is this is this is insane. This <clears throat> this event is um you know every once in a while you get one of these events like the the like the death of Chris Cornell uh or of the uh the guy from the frightened rabbit. Like these things resonate here um in a way where or they resonate in me where I just, they're, they don't go away immediately. And this, this Richard Russell story where he, um, he stole this airplane and took it on a joyride and crashed. It's really affecting people in my world and, really? and me because yeah, well, you know, we're aviation adjacent. Um, like I grew up flying planes. I actually have stolen an airplane before which when you, when you put a, it that way this this really could be a long winter's b-side this is a hell yeah, of a story yeah it's a um it, this uh, richard russell grew up in alaska hmm. and works for alaska airlines basically horizon um and he just he he He's proximate to airplanes. It's his job to be out there. They, it's not just baggage handling. Those guys do all that stuff, move the plane around on the ground, and and they're in their little trucks. and they're All the people you see running around on the runway. Yeah, they're all you know a team. And so he's next to airplanes that have gas in them. Then he knows how to get in them and move them around. And so he just got in one and started it up. And, and I, you know, SeaTac is an incredibly big incredibly busy airport with three active runways going all the time. And he ran that thing out on a taxiway and everybody said, 
there's a what is this guy? And they shut the airport down real fast. And he just got out on a runway and ran it down and got it up in the air. And, you know, if you go stand out by SeaTac and just watch the planes coming and going, like there's not a space. They, they don't leave a lot of space open mm-hmm. for a guy to throw another big airplane in the air. But he got it up there. And then he's just joyriding around the Northwest. And he's on the mic. He's talking to air traffic control. And you can listen to the recordings. And he is such an Alaskan. Like my sister listened to the recordings and got very emotional hmm. because here's this guy that, I mean, he's he's 20 years younger than I am. Um, but you can just hear, you hear exactly who he is. He's like, hey, I'm just up here on this airplane. Got it. Flying it. And it's a pretty crazy day. Beautiful weather. And you just... You know where he's you know where he's coming from and what what's what's too bad about this story is that all he had to talk to was air traffic control mm-hmm. because air traffic control is busy those guys are busy and they're working all day at, uh, one of the one of the things you listen to on YouTube is just the raw air traffic control feed for SeaTac mm-hmm. and this guy's voice pops in every once in a while and it's you just listen to straight forty five minutes of people going, and they're all just keeping their keeping their cool. It's just like you know, Tango Golf. Uh, you have Echo <laughs> Quebec. Uh, so maintain six thousand feet. Uh, the Echo Quebec six thousand. And it's just and they're doing that all day long. And these air traffic control has in their minds and on their screens five hundred moving objects and this kid is out there wanting somebody to talk to basically mm-hmm. and he's like hey man you can see all the way to the mountains from here and the guy that's charged with talking to him is like uh yeah rich you can see the mountains anyway i'd like you to start executing a left-hand turn and rich is like yeah yeah okay left-hand turn um hey do you think there are any whales the guy's like, yeah, I bet there are whales, Rich. Can we get you starting that left-hand turn now? And the air traffic control, like, no slight against them, but they are not in the business of, like, They're not talking. like a police negotiator. No. And somehow in this whole process, no one in the system managed to get Rich over on a on a frequency way up at the end of the dial where somebody was talking to him. Mm-hmm. And just like, hey, Rich, this is amazing. You... You stole an airplane, like, dude, high five. Because Rich just, Rich wanted a high five or two. Um, And whatever his plan was, I don't know, this is hard. It's hard to talk about because you and I have talked a lot about mental illness. Mm -hmm. And there's a whole subset of internet concern trolls now that are on the mental illness beat. And a lot of it is structured around this idea of like, uh, that people need help and that we need to get people help. And, um, and a lot of people understand that you can't understand 
And so they're tweeting now about how you can't understand. And they're, it, it, it's gotten like everything on the internet aggressive. People are like mental illness shaming each other if they say the wrong thing. And there's a lot of talk about Richard Russell in terms of just immediately turning this whole event into a tragedy about how this kid needed help and couldn't get it mm -hmm. or that he had untreated depression or so, people diagnosing him at a distance. And, and it's very hard for me because whatever motivated this, whatever motivated him to decide today was the day that he was just going to throw it all in the fire. And instead of go sit in a garage somewhere with the motor running mm -hmm. or whatever, he stole a fucking passenger jet and not trying to hurt anybody, not trying to do anything, you know, not trying to make a political statement, not flying it into a building. He just went out and did some loop-de-loops. Mm -hmm. In a plane that you should not be able to do that. Mm -hmm. you sh he shouldn't have been able to get it off the ground. He should not have been able to keep it in the air. And he absolutely should not have been able to do a barrel roll and not pass out from the G forces, let alone pull it off, let alone like do do multiple i mean i watched the, I mean, some I, of the video i'm thinking if you're you're like a navy pilot for 20 years you get in one of these things are you even going to try a barrel roll the, the, the all airplanes are rated for more stress than than they normally handle right mm -hmm. i mean you you should be able to pretty much roll any airplane because it's just an air uh, it's an just an aeronautical uh, maneuver, right? Mm -hmm. The airplane doesn't care. It if it can, you know, if it can handle, if the wings can handle the stress of the maneuver, the plane can do it. Um, it's just not a thing that that airplane, the Q four hundred, I'm pretty sure has never been looped. <laughs> like even during testing, I doubt that they bothered. Um, it's just not a. It's I mean, they're they're, they're powerful turboprops, but. But all of it to imagine that this that this kid is just and and part of the thrill is like he didn't care if he crashed, mm -hmm. so why not try it? Um. But 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 he ends up he ends up crashing, and you know, and and, and eventually they get the they they got some F-15s up here to shadow him around because they just didn't they wanted to make sure he wasn't gonna go crash into a building. Mm -hmm. But I think those guys were just an honor guard, kind of. They just kind of flew back behind him, watching him do his thing. But nobody ever got on the on the horn with him mm -hmm. and said, "Rich, bro, you're legend. Like you're gonna go to jail, buddy. But like, you pulled it off." Like you gave your life some meaning or some color or some framework. Mm -hmm. um, like for, for all of the ways in which this is a complete violation of the social compact, you made a difference today mm -hmm. <laughs> or like you did an extraordinary thing, which is going to result in some jail time and you should be, you should think about this long and hard. We do not want other people doing this typically, but also, like, good job. Weird. Weird Weird choice today. Uh, and good job. 
and you know, Rich never once on the on the horn sounded anything other than just like, uh, I mean, basically like anybody I grew up with. Hmm. And it could have happened if this if this idea had occurred to half of my friends. If this had if this had occurred to Kel McCarl, he absolutely would have done this. Um, and maybe halfway through would have been like, you know, there's no way out of this. I have to. I have to crash. I can't, I can never face anybody again after doing this. But it, but at the same time, I can't look at it and say, oh, this is a failure of our mental health system or, oh, there's no way to talk about this other than that. This guy is that this is a mental illness event. Um, because it, you know, life is short and full of pain. Mm-hmm. And people die all the time. And, and sometimes, you know, like they're just, there's no, there's no one way, you know, and this kid did this thing where you go, huh? And, and 10 days from now, we won't think about it again. You know, it'll just be, um, he'll, there'll, there'll be a marker for him somewhere and his, his family and friends are sad that he's gone, but but he really affected me yesterday mm-hmm. and today and and the day before. And you, he you see it as some kind of an achievement in some ways, though. That he was able able to do what he did. I mean, it's pretty cool. I don't know. I it's 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 really hard to look at this and say like, good job. But at the same time, you you know, I'm agog with wonder at um at the whole event. And, and I think, and I think that's the reaction I'm seeing from people in aviation who are like, he did what? Mm -hmm. Like from a video game? Right. That, I mean, there, because so much of, so much of pulling those maneuvers is tactile. It's not a thing that you would learn on a video game. You pull on those controls and the plane moves underneath you. You're, it is, you have to hold those, you know, it, it requires force and it requires a kind of ballet to, to fly an airplane like that. You know, you're, you're, you're dancing with a big, powerful animal and he did it. He did it. He did a thing I couldn't have done. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that I'm not a pilot, but he, there are a lot of pilots that are, that are, are like impressed um, and it's, I just, I'm sorry. It, like a lot of these things, like a lot of the people that died and made an impact on me recently, my only thought is, God, I wish I could have sat down with him. Mm-hmm. I wish I could have been the one on the other end of the radio. Because if I'd been on the other end of the radio and had said, Hey, don't worry about all that. You know, like, don't worry about all that. Like, uh, what's going on? What's going on, bro? <laughs> this is kind of, this, this is pretty cool actually. But like, what's, what's going on and just give him a chance. Even if, even if the end result was the same, just give him like 10 minutes to, to spell it out. Um, and I, you know, and I know he, he, he made a, uh, he made a passing comment about being white. And there are a lot of people that are jumping on it as, um, because people are jumping on, people like to jump on things. I didn't see, I, I didn't see anything political about what he did. It just felt like a kid from Alaska that had reached 
an end point and I'd reached a hundred of them mm-hmm. and the people I know had reached a hundred of them at 29 years old where you're like, I'm fucking 29. I should have all this stuff figured out and I have zero figured out and I feel like a complete fucking loser. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet I'm also capable for the love of God. I'm capable of stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I guess today I'm going to steal this airplane and I'm going to do some loop-de-loops over Puget Sound and I'm crashing into an abandoned island or not abandoned. The people mm-hmm. of the people that live on that island are going to send me some letters because <laughs> I know they all listen to the show. Fifteen people on that island. I, I, heard I, this, I, I hadn't heard this kind of take on it. Uh, I'm not very t- tuned into the news right now, but I had not heard that uh, that take on it. It's it's, it's interesting and open ended. Yeah, I don't know. You feel I mean, you, you feel close to it on a lot of fronts. It's hard for you to feel a lot of distance from it. But you are sensitive, wrong word. You are um, vulnerable to several angles on this. Yeah. I mean, I've never felt suicidal mm-hmm. in the darkest, darkest depression I ever had. That just not, was not a, uh, it was not an impulse I had. And it, but it is an impulse that a lot of people close to me wrestle with all the time, struggle with. Yeah. Um, the ease of, the ease that it, it feels like how, it feels like, that would be a form of rest, but you know, to, to, to put this event and just, and just call it suicide. Um, I, I, it's, I can't, I can't limit it to that. And I, you know, like however Chris Cornell died, however, um, you know, however Robin Williams died, Yeah, they, they weren't just, um, it's not just a small thing. And what is, what is, how do you address the idea that, you know, lives have beginnings, middles and ends and they don't all have to go to 90 years. Mm -hmm. Like Scott Hutchinson from frightened rabbit. We don't know what happened, but it feels it feels similar. He had a bad night in a bar. He was out. He struggled with this stuff for a long time. He had a bad night. Somebody, he had a conversation that bummed him out or he had some bad thoughts. It wasn't, you know, a lot of these suicides don't happen because it's the worst day of their life. They just have a bad day, mm-hmm. but it's the day that they just, you know, it's the, the, the stars line up and they're like, you know what? I'm just going to go jump off the bridge. Forget it. And you go, whoa, you've made it through so much else, so many thousands of worse things. Today, the, this thing is the thing that throws you off the bridge. And, and this thing is the thing that, that caused him to steal that airplane. Who knows? Who knows? I, I, can't, I can't lament it almost in a way. I kind of, it's, but it's hard to salute it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, I mean, for, for yourself and within society, I, I don't want to get too deep into this, yeah. it, it uh, personally. But it's um, you were referring. Or I don't want to make this a referendum about the internet, but um, you're right. I, I feel that same sense of like um, this tension between, on the one hand, a lot of good-hearted, presumably good-hearted intention about helping all kinds of people. Right, like that comes from a good place. The way that that gets expressed. Uh, becomes weirdly partisan and personal um, very quickly, especially if you're somebody who's a well-meaning, you know, innocent bystander. 
Well, like uh, I said, I, I tweeted something about it. Like, uh, you know, this, I said, my sister listened to this and it really feels like somebody, it really, he feels like somebody that we could know or somebody that we, that we know. And somebody tweeted me and said, it may be someone, you know, because depression is silent. See th- those kinds of things that is that that is a kind of meme reaction that I feel at this point is about as useful as forgive my saying if this is crass but like like when there's a fire or there's a hurricane or there's a tornado or there's a terrorist event and people get on Twitter and say Paris be safe okay <laughs> I'll I'll pass that along to everybody to be safe Yeah I I somehow it turned in in that Twitter exchange into just a just someone I don't know who felt like I needed to be coached. Yeah. And and um and I and I saw that in not I saw that in the way people reacting were reacting to other people or generally about this. Like because there's a lot about this event where you kind of want to laugh. At one point, I oh, actually absolutely, I, it's it's so <laughs> wacky. I actually listening to one of the recordings, he said something. There was some moment I, I I I could see what he was doing in the air, and I actually like without even thinking about it, put both of my fists up in the air in a gesture of triumph, <laughs> and started to cry. Hmm. Where I was just like, "Oh my fucking god, you." did it like like i just went like champion and and i knew that he was i knew that part of what he was saying was like i'm gonna nose it in and call it a night what the fuck that's a that's like that is a, i mean what a line what a feeling what a, is that what he what said a thought he's like he's like well you know what he said the guy was like you pulled off the because air traffic control those guys have they are they have less sense of humor than they're a pretty, German they're a pretty, pretty dry bunch by nature. Yeah, and he's just like, okay, you pulled it off. Well, let's try and get you back in that left hand turn and get you lined up to. Try. And it's just like, oh my god, really? <laughs> you guys have got so little. There's so little joy in the way that they look at aviation, you know? Because this kid is just he's one of of 500 airplanes they have to deal with right now, and mm-hmm. they just want him out of their mind. Mm-hmm. They just, you know, they're just like, kid, you're on a joyride. Like planes crash all the time. Figure your shit out. Please just stay out of our airspace or whatever. You know, and they're being gentle with him. But he pulls this thing off. Well, and you sure like, wouldn't want five of those every night. No. But but he says at one point he comes on the the mic and he's like, Well, you know, for in all honesty, I didn't think I was gonna pull that off. I thought that was it. I thought I was gonna pull that maneuver and that would be the end. And I would be dead now. I would have gone out making that maneuver, but I actually pulled it off. And now I didn't, I don't know what else to do. I didn't have a plan B. <laughs> Ta-da. And, you're, and you're like, wow. Okay. Yeah. You know, like try another one or, you know, like do a, do like a corkscrew or something that beats me. But you know, he, what he never did was go buzz Seattle. He never went and he wasn't, he didn't go fly over his girlfriend's work or anything. Yeah. This you know, is his he, version of a motorcycle ride with himself. Yeah, he was on a motorcycle ride with himself, and mm-hmm. he was talking to these guys because I guess you know he seemed like a extrovert or whatever. He needed he wanted somebody to talk to, um, and he didn't really get he didn't get much pushback. 
I, I think if I'd been on the phone with him, I don't think he would have come back either. I don't think I could have talked him into landing. I think he, he had decided what he was going to do, but at least we would have had a pretty fun hour mm-hmm. of like, Hey, why don't you go out, over, go out over the water and see, see what this baby can do. Yeah. I don't know. It's, um, it is, it's a, it's a, it's, it's emotional. And part of that is, is has to do with like just that basic, basic stuff of, what you know? What are we doing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what is the point of anything? <laughs> I don't know. I like that. 